We're going to continue this morning in our series on the church that Jesus built. Talking about, we've been, we've gone, I don't know, this is lesson five, I think, on this series that we've been talking about going through the book of Acts, about the foundation, the origin, the creation of the church that Jesus said he would build, that he promised to Peter. And last week we looked at the great irony. The great irony of the church is that people are both the main source of problems and one of God's solutions to those problems, right? We didn't get to read this last week. I had this in my notes, but ran out of time. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the, again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I love that word indispensable. Do you think of yourself as indispensable? Because you are. Indispensable, that is, we could not do without you. We need you to be a part of the group. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And the unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so there may be, be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The church is designed to thrive... In large part, not always, but in large part on the differences between its members. Starting, of course, we have this foundation. We've talked a lot about the foundation, right? The foundation of shared knowledge, of submissions to, submission to God's will. We understand there's a foundation that is the same for everyone, but built on top of that foundation. All kinds of people, right? We're serving our different kinds of purposes and doing all kinds of good works. We're doing things that God prepared for us to do that are not all the same because we're not all the same body part. We're not all the same person. And so as we consider the work of the early church, the thing that Jesus promised he would build through the apostles, they're crafting and creating an acts, this thing that would live far beyond them, right? That's the beauty of this thing that they're creating in the book of Acts is something that has endured till today that will endure if the world continues for another 2,000 years. The thing that they built will last that long as well. There's a beauty in that, a power in that structure. But we see in the origins of this, like any group of people, they needed some organizational principles. We can think about the great origin in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the sermon that Peter, uh, Peter preaches. About 3,000 people are added to that day, and very quickly there are about 10,000 people, and things are happening, and things are exciting, and things are going on, and what's going on? They have people... Uh, giving their, their, their belongings, they're selling their belongings, they're giving the money to the church. There's, there's thousands of people in this group that's thriving and flourishing and preaching. And then, oh wait, what's going on? There's some problems. We looked at last week, right? The organization flows naturally out of the needs of the group. And we looked at last week in Acts chapter 6, right? The first major, not the first, this is the second. The first was Ananias and Sapphira, right? The second major difficulty. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And we're not going to go a lot about the problem, but we know there's a problem, right? The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, we sort of gloss over that. Summoned the full number. This is thousands of people. 
literally thousands of people. How are they doing that? I don't know. It's kind of interesting to think about, though. Summon the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we... That's the apostles, right? The twelve will devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. And when they had said what they had said, pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and uh, Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And they sat before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then they did this thing. They did this work. It was great. But there needed to be some organization, right? You have thousands of people. They're selling their belongings. They're giving the proceeds to the apostles. They're having this daily distribution. Presumably, they're distributing more than just to the widows. They're distributing to anybody who has need. Thousands of people trying to organize a benevolence effort. I don't think it's a stretch to imagine how many logistical nightmares are in that scenario. They need some organization. So here, they pick seven dudes. Hey, we're going to do this. You're going to be in charge of this thing. Why? Why do they need the organization? They're very explicit about it. Because we have our own job. Our own job is what? We need to preach. It's not right that we should give up preaching to serve tables. And you might think, well, that's a dig at these seven guys. Their work isn't... They're not saying their work is unimportant. In fact, that's the exact opposite. They're saying their work is important. And so we need to make sure it's done right. On the other hand, we, we can't do it. We don't have time. The apostles don't have time. But it needs to happen. So let's make it happen. We see as we go through Acts 14... 19 through 23. Of course, Paul, he's begun his great uh, mission work. He's gone several places and they've established many churches, right? The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Having uh, persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city and on the next day went, with, uh, went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Uh, Why we've started back here. His work as he's going from place to place, sometimes he has to leave very abruptly. Sometimes he's run out of town. Sometimes he has time to linger. But it's, it's a very urgent thing that's going on. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Tribulations like what? Tribulations like being stoned. He's saying this from first-hand experience. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Why elders? Again, remember what's going on here. Paul, Barnabas, sometimes it's Apollos, sometimes it's Timothy, sometimes it's Epaphras. There's all these sorts of uh, ministers and evangelists throughout the first century world. They're going from place to place. They're preaching. They're converting people. They're making disciples. Hooray, hurrah. But then they leave. Sometimes by force, sometimes by choice. But they leave. What needs to happen? These people who are left behind, they live in the town. They can't just pick up and move. They, have, they live here. They live in Lystra and I, uh, Antioch and Iconium. They live here. They're not going to move. There's a church here, though. They need guidance. They need direction. They need stability. And so what are they doing? They're appointing elders to continue that work, to make sure that things are going well, to make sure that things are done the way they should be, to provide that stability in a time of flux. And again, a time that we know because he said it would happen and because it happened to him, a time that's going to be full of tribulation, persecution, difficulty, struggle. What does a church need in crisis, a church need in difficulty and tribulation and struggle? They need somebody to be in charge. Somebody to provide direction. Somebody to provide stability. Who's that going to be? It's going to be the elders. 
that they appointed in every church. We see this need for structure all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the book of Acts. Acts 15, 6, and 7, of course, there's this dispute about circumcision, about the law of Moses. What are we going to make the Gentiles do? The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up, and we're not going to read what Peter said, but I want to note again the presence of the elders in this situation. Acts 20, verse 17. This is, again, Paul. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. We already read one of those, right? They came down, they persuaded, and then they stoned him. A lot of plots, a lot of difficulty. But what is he doing? He's calling the elders. Why? Because he's leaving. This time for good. He's not going to be back to Ephesus. This is it. He's gone forever after this. Of course, he's going to go to prison. He's going to write them letters, right? We know that. But the work of the apostles more generally throughout the course of the first century was going to come to an end. They wouldn't be around forever. So why call the elders? Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. The need for structure. In Acts chapter 6, the need was what? Logistical. Stuff needs to happen. Stuff needs to get done. The apostles didn't have time to do it, but it needed to be done anyway. So pick seven dudes. We'll point them over this work. That's what we're going to do. In the leadership, the apostles weren't going to last forever. Paul knew it. Peter knew it. We're going to go, but the tribulation and the struggle is still going to be there. There needs to be some people in charge who are going to shepherd the flock, which is why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Not exercising oversight, not under compulsion, uh, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Make sure that all these wolves around do not eat the sheep. Make sure that this thing that we've built, this church that Jesus promised to build that he said would be laid on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Make sure that this thing that we have built continues. That it endures all the struggle that's going to come. It's interesting that Jesus didn't, as far as we're told, now maybe he did and we're just not told it, but as far as we're told, Jesus did not lay out at the beginning, this is how everything's going to be structured. This is something that they had to discover. Like many things in the New Testament, they had to strive and struggle and toil and grow and discern the will of God in these things. It arose, this organization, because all human groups, not just the church, all human groups eventually need structure and organization if they're going to achieve a singular purpose. Now, if you have a group of people and you don't have any purpose for them, let them run wild. They're going to do whatever they want. Hooray for them. But if you have a purpose, if you have a goal, if you have something you're striving for, you need some organization. Especially for a group designed, as it is, we've read already in 1 Corinthians 12, right? A group designed to be diverse, to contain many different kinds of people. 
to have many different backgrounds and histories and cultures and, and different people coming from different walks of life, there needs to be some organizing principles, some leadership to catalyze, to synergize action. And I want to make clear, the fact that this arose out of necessity as you go through the early church, it's interesting, in Acts chapter 2 and 4, they didn't just immediately say these things, we're going to have the church, we're going to have elders, we're going to have deacons, we're going to do all this. It arose out of necessity, but that doesn't mean it wasn't part of God's plan. Because what we see in the later writings of the New Testament is that they made sure to write down the criteria for this organization so that it would outlive them. Titus 1, 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you, may put what, uh, you might put what remained into order. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Paul writing this to Titus, why? Because making sure there were elders in the churches was explicitly part of the job. Make sure that this happens. Not just anybody. You can't just have anybody be an elder. There's a list here of things they need to be. But why? Make sure this happens to put in order so that this thing that we're building will endure. Paul says it to Timothy this way when he talks about the deacons. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first. It's interesting, even back in Acts chapter 6, when they were talking about who they were going to appoint to that work, there was some requirement, some test. What was the test in Acts chapter 6? Full of the spirit and of wisdom, people that they knew, that was the requirement there. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They had such an impact that it's important that Timothy here make sure that they were the right kind of people. This organization that clearly... Paul intended to endure past his death. Which is why he's telling Titus and Timothy, the next generation, make sure this happens. Make sure you continue to have this organization in this thing that we're building. The organization, the church, the leadership of elders and deacons, as we conclude, we must note, was not a human invention. It may seem that way as we go through the book of Acts. Problems come up. Things happen, persecution comes, and so they figure out, oh, we better have some structure in place. That's not how they present it here. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, we'll conclude with this verse. And he gave. Who's the he? It's not Paul. It's not Peter. Who's the he? It's God. God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. How many of these things are tied to the continuing teaching of true things? 
the continuing understanding of God's will. So many times it's even in Titus. What did he say to Titus about the elders? So that they may be able to correct those who are teaching the wrong thing. I'm paraphrasing, but you can read it back in Titus. By, uh, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The he is God, right? In verse 11, he gave these things to the church. They didn't make it up. They did so on inspiration because that is what the Holy Spirit directed them to do. And we can see the purpose of that. For the elders, the purpose was what? To ensure correct teaching. To ensure that people are not led astray. To ensure that the wolves, the false teachers in the world, would not come in and persuade people away from the truth. That was the point. For the deacons, it was what? To make sure that things operated smoothly. To make sure that people have what they need. To make sure that the work that is being done is done so in a way that nobody's left out. That nobody's neglected. That people are included in the things that they need to be doing. And so we think about this verse. We might spare a brief moment to talk about the word shepherd. Because it's instructive here. The verb form we've already seen in the words of both Paul and Peter, right? Talks to the elders in Ephesus. Peter talks to the elders. He's talking about shepherd the flock of God. The shepherd is what? He's caring. He's guiding. He's directing. He's protecting. Of course, they're serving under the example of the chief shepherd, right? Jesus. Because remember, this is his church. It doesn't belong to the elders. We steward. The elders steward. We as people steward this thing that ultimately does not belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. And so the point was not that the leadership would be doing the work of the ministry. He gave... The apostles, prophets, elders, teachers, shepherds, what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who's the saints? That's you guys, right? That's all of us. That we would be doing the work. Because who's being made in God's temple? Who, who is the temple of God? It's not just the leaders. It's not just the preacher or the elders or the deacons. Who is the temple of God? All Christians are the temple of God. And so all Christians are doing the work of the ministry. Like all groups, we have problems. Because we're human, we're flawed, we make mistakes, we're selfish, we're bitter, we are ignorant, we are imperfect. But some of the problems of our nature can be mitigated through thoughtful, caring, and directed organization. It's why we have elders. It's why we have deacons. Not to lord it over, and he was clear about that, right? Not to lord it over each other, but so that we can all do the work of the ministry in a way that is effective, in a way that is productive, in a way that is God-glorifying. And so I hope that you will join us in building on this thing that Jesus began. The church, not this building, the temple of his people. Join in building with us. So that more people can come to know his truth. So that this thing here in Dewey will outlive each and every one of us. Isn't that the goal? 
That this thing in Dewey will live beyond ourselves to endure into the future? It can only do that if we all join under this structure. And so we offer the invitation to become a part of the church. Not the Church of Christ in Dewey. We are a great group, I think. But to become a part of Jesus' church, the universal body of Christ. To turn from your sin, to confess him before men, to be united with him in immersion, to live faithfully, so that at the end of time he will say what? Hopefully, well done, good and faithful servant. Come while we stand and sing.